Hello and welcome back to the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast with your hosts, Mr. Laz Michaelides on this screen and Mr. Felipe Amorim on the other screen. How are you doing, man? All good, man. How are you yeah, doing? I'm okay. Yeah, really hot. You know, I hate the heat and so do you, right? Yes. I've, yeah, T- I feel like tell me your really phrase. Hot, so... tell, tell me your quote. Well, when it's too hot for a South American, it is too hot. <laughs> <laughs> when a South American tells you it's too hot. Yeah, it's hot for everyone. Hot, yeah. I know, yeah. Um, you might be hearing some different music in our opening, or no music at all, actually, because we're in the, we're in the midst of changing our intro music. Check this out. So we the intro music we normally use for our um, for the show, as you guys have been used to for the past 54 episodes, whoever owned it, we got it copyright free, which means we get to use it on all our stuff, and it's all great and everything. And suddenly, two years later, um, the person has decided to sell his music or her music and so now the music that we've been using for two years belongs to someone else. Exactly, belongs to someone else. But that's the world of corporate music, isn't it? You know, cash in and get some money where you can. We, we, we're fully endorsing of the artist getting paid for his or her work. But he did say it was free when I downloaded it, you know. So um, I've got a little bee in my bonnet, which is why I had to have that tiny 30-second rant there. But um, anyway, that would explain. It's not a new show. It's not a different show. It's not a different topic or anything. It's just some new music or no music. We should uh, stop being lazy and record it ourselves, isn't it? Oh, we said we'd do that, didn't we? We said we'd record we our own We need to come up with a riff. Oh, do you know what, man? I swear that's going to be easier because I'm, I'm having all these back and forths with these labels and like, I'd say, hold on, here's my copyright certificate. Yeah, but but that was two years ago. As of now, you've got to follow the process of who owns the music now. And I'm like, yeah. fucking hell, I can't deal with this. <laughs> yeah, Felipe, <laughs> let's do it, man. Yeah, I think you're going to come around in a couple of weeks, aren't you? So let's exactly. record, let's we'll just record something. some stuff, <laughs> record some kick-ass riff. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, we really hope you enjoyed the last two episodes, which were the cover episodes, the originals versus the covers. I know we certainly enjoyed them a lot. And thank you very much for all you listeners and viewers. Um who gave us the who, who gave us the, some of the cover songs to do because as we said from the first episode it was two of Felipe's and two of mine then we got you guys involved and started getting your ideas and your favorite covers in and it's kind of taken off everyone's really enjoyed it got some really positive feedback so trust us in saying there will be many more to come um before we get into the episode just the normal terms and conditions please follow us on the social <laughs> media platforms you can see them all below you've got your Facebook your Instagram your YouTube Hit subscribe, hit follow, hit like, and you're going to stay up to date with all of our content, new episode releases. Uh, we put out little sound bites from the episode. So, you you know, if, if there's an album that you're not interested in and you hear a soundbite of us talking about it and Felipe saying one of his incredible statements that leave me, you know, baffled and bemused every week, then that's the place that you're going to find it. And maybe you join in and you find out you end up liking the episode. You're not going to know unless you subscribe. So please hit all those subscribe buttons, like, follow, share, comment, all that stuff. Um, so you can stay up to date. Um, we are doing an album today. Uh, and we are doing an album chosen by Mr. Felipe. So I will give you the album details as normal. Uh, and then I'm going to ask Felipe uh, why he chose the album. So the name of the album is We're an American Band by the band Grand Funk Railroad, released July 15th, 1973, and recorded in three days, 12th to the 15th of June, 1973 in Florida. The genre is associated as hard rock. Uh, it's 40 minutes in length, released by the Capitol label and produced by Todd Rundgren with the singles We're an American Band and Walk Like a Man. Um, so, Felipe, tell us, bro, why did you choose this album? I chose it because I love the band. I love Grunt Funk. 
they like uh, they were one of, one of my favorite bands when it was um oh my god that was long ago when it was about 25 26 yeah. and um was playing gigs and uh, playing jazz and rock gigs but um very rarely having a chance to play something like like that but uh you know back in the day we had vhs <laughs> tapes <laughs> uh you know of our favorite bands and a friend of mine came with with grand funk and he was he was a bass player he was like man you got to listen to this this is just brilliant i just discovered this band and they're amazing so on uh, the first time so the first thing i've seen of them was like a um a concert they were they were uh sharing the bill with uh freddie king so oh. uh yeah so and it's super cool like they they just smashing and freddie king is also uh playing a great gig so same stage two two different gigs of course but um and they were like so tight as a band and the song structures were so complex and it you know uh rhythm changes and and, and tempo changes like and i love that when you listen yeah. to a song you get into the groove and then out of the blue the song sounds completely different and they had that vibe and also um because i'm a drummer <laughs> I, I simply loved uh, the drumming and the fact that the drummer is a great singer. Mm. And um, so we, we, we covered the Eagles, um, you know, um, a few episodes ago. And there's we also did band. the band. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. So all bands that, that you have uh, drummers who can sing and can sing really well. Uh, and yeah, so all these things, they, they made me uh, fall in love with Grand Funk. And um, so I was listening to loads of live stuff and different songs and the singles and all that stuff. Um, don't remember really getting to the albums one by one, but I did listen to the albums. And when I had to think about an album, it's really hard to choose because they they are like thing lazy in that sense. Every album's got something that is worth listening to. It does it really is yeah. that true? Because let, let me just pause you for a second and say that from my research. It seems like this is the album that everyone swears by for Grand Funk. And I haven't seen anyone say the others are rubbish, but it seems like it's all led up to this one. But the others, are they worth checking out as well? The They're pre- worth checking out, man, because uh, uh, when you see the live set, there's lots of songs that are not part of this uh, this album. And um, it's just it's just like it has the most iconic song an American band could possibly write. <laughs> Maybe that's, you know, it's one of those, I, I'm a big fan of um, albums that start with the perfect song, because yeah. that's what's going to convince me to keep listening all the way to Absolutely. the end. Absolutely, yeah, right? yeah. So, and We Are an American Band is just a perfect, like, uh, rock song to open an album. Mm. I, I love it. That's yeah, what, that it, was the main reason, yeah. And the it, cowbell, of course. The cowbell, yeah. It's. It, I have to say, I just want to say straight off. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the album. Like, really, really enjoyed it. And I don't tend to enjoy these kind of albums. And I will tell you why is because that. Uh, how do I say this without insulting every classic rock band out there? There's a lot of bands that sat that have a generic rock sound. I think you know we've we've done Dire Straits. Um, I'm trying to again, I'm trying to say this without trying to insult any bands, but bands like I don't know, ACDC, T-Rex, 
some dire straits. Do you know what I mean? They kind of have this token classic rock sound where if you didn't know these rock bands, you could put them all in one playlist and someone would say, are these the same bands? Are these different bands? Do you know what I mean? Vocals aside, because obviously Bon Scott sounds different from this singer. And But do you know what I mean? The the general vibe and the general attitude is the same. And I call that classic rock, you know, those kind of that classic rock sound with starts with a bluesy guitar riff where the drums and the bass are kind of playing simple stuff behind and you've got a singer who can sing nicely you know not not screaming not growling not operatic just good rock singing yeah and it it felt to me like this album was like a step above the rest I really felt that way I felt that the songs had such a cohesion and everything going on in between them was interesting yeah. It wasn't like anything was repetitive and I was like, oh, sixth song now and it sounds the same, same structure, same this and that. I, I was just fascinated by it, man. I remember listening and going, Jesus, how have I not heard of this band before? Uh, well, that's actually, I have heard of them, but I've only heard of them because Frank Zappa was a fan of them, apparently. Well, and that says a lot about them, right? Well, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially because Frank Zappa, when you when, when Frank Zappa was asked about his influences, he talked about Edgar Varese, who's a... Um, uh, an avant-garde classical composer, and then he'd talk about some blues and prog guitarists. He'd very rarely mention a, a sort of standard classic rock band. You know, he said little things about the Beatles here. He jammed with Pink Floyd. But for him to come out and say, this is a good band, that takes some, you know, to convince Zappa, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a big a big. Well, and But you can tell why, isn't it? Because um, they they have some, some elements of blues and hard rock, um, and even a bit of jazz, I would say, at some points. And but but they they are funky, you know. The funk in the name is not is yeah. not you know for the sake of it. They 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 way more groovy than than the most rock bands, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And um, groovy and heavy, heavy. That's a combination that is not easy to to put up. So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right. Because it's weird. Because obviously, you guys know my background in, in heavy metal. So when I hear tiny little fragments or elements of metal, I kind of, my mind just goes straight to it. And you've got little bits in there, like um, dissonant guitar playing. And now rock like this is very, very consonant. Naturally, you're hearing nice chords, chords that work one after the other. If a guitarist plays a note, it's going to, if a guitarist plays two notes, it's going to sound nice next to each other. Dissonance is the opposite of that. Dissonance is where you play two notes one after the other, and you go, "Oh, no, no, thank you." Or you play a chord that has, <laughs> or you that's play the best chord. definition of dissonance I've ever well, heard in my dissonance. life. Playing two <laughs> notes, play together, two notes, and it say, "No, thank you. Well, no, thank you." Yeah. <laughs> um, playing a chord, you know, jazz. There's lots of dissonance in jazz because you might play a normal chord, but then a jazzer might add a special note at the end that makes you go the same thing. So, oh no, I don't like that. Now that's not common in rock like t-rex like acdc because i don't want to use the word pop rock but it is accessible rock so you want your audience to enjoy it it's not jazz it's not heavy metal and i think there's a there's an element of predictability in that kind of uh, um classic rock formula exactly you want you want it to be predictable you want the groove to stay the same to the end you want the riff to repeat itself yeah. a million times which, it's yeah, part which is of why. what it is yeah. And then we, we have bands. Uh, I just want to compare them to Deep Purple because that's a band Bro, that has. I can't uh-huh. believe you said that. I can't <laughs> believe you said that. It's in my my monologue and my notes. Yeah, Deep All Purple. All right. So because uh, uh, for 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 a few reasons, I'd say like first, um, 
they can funk. And Deep Purple was good at the pace, was really good at, at grooving like yeah. uh, 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 beyond the realms of rock and roll. Yeah. And um, and they have some elements of maybe classical music and you know the fast guitar phrases and all that stuff. Well. And keyboards, you know, uh, Hammond organ and all that stuff that Deep Purple came up with. I mean. I think those bands will perform at around the same time. They might even have influenced each other. I don't know. Um, one note I made is that Machine Head came out one year before this. Oh wow, that's it yeah. then. So Great, maybe they were maybe they were listening to it. And uh, yeah, uh, and you you might agree with me that one uh, big thing in the album is is the fact that they made the keyboard player a member of the band. So they had what's his name, uh, Craig Frost, uh, yeah. playing organ and and and. Well, he was as well. He wasn't. And stuff. He wasn't part of the band before this album. No. So they yeah. were a trio. Uh, they were previously were a trio, and Craig Frost joined on keys. But he was on the previous album, but he was only credited yeah. as an additional musician. Yeah. So, so when when, when it when it turns someone into a you know effectively like a member of the band, so obviously that guy has some creative input, and obviously yeah. you can you can highlight the keyboards in more sections of songs because it's not like it's not like your fans are not expecting it because you have a keyboard play in the band so you can have more yeah. keyboard solos and keyboard intros and that really really adds to the sound of grand funk it's not only the distorted guitars it kind of uh, when and they seem to kind of emphasize either guitar or keyboards. It's kind of they they leave room to each other, so you never get bored. Well, and I think that yeah. that might be one of the things I like the most about the album. You never get bored. You well, I was to the album start to finish. I agree with yeah. you, and I was trying to figure out because there's different songwriters, um, as in there, there's two. There's, let's just tell you about the band quickly. So, yeah, yeah. On vocals, guitar. You've got Mark Farner on organ, clavinet, electric piano, and moog basically all keyboards and organs, is Craig Frost. You've got Mel Shaka on bass. Uh, I'm not sure you pronounce that. Shasha, Shaka on bass. Don Brewer on drums, percussion and vocals. And the songs were written um, by Don Brewer and Mark Farner. And they take turns doing the lead vocals. And I was trying to see, okay, on the songs that Farner does vocals, are they more like this? And on songs where Brewer does vocals, are they more different? And there's not really a, a, a there's not a correlation. The first few songs, you kind of see Farner has the more rocky ones and Brewer has the more soulful ones, or vice versa. I get that right? No, Brewer has the more rocky ones and Farner the more yeah. solely ones. But then as the album goes on, it doesn't really stick that way. And I just thought that's great because that is great. That That, that is a band understanding understanding their overall sound yeah and there's there's an interesting thing is when you have two singers in the band you might run the risk of having um great vocals in a song and average vocals on another song but they both technically great and very creative with their melodies and they have a really good vocal range Mm. so if when you listen you know they can they they can hold a high note for a while with uh, expression so it's, it's not like uh it's not like uh one is trying to catch up with the other they're both really good so yeah, right. you, you can't really say there's one lead singer in the band really or one better singer in the band in my opinion that's got to be the um the criteria for success in a band with two vocalists because yeah if you have one better than the other then the fans are gonna they're not going to turn, but they're going to be like, "Well, come on! Like he's so much, he or she is so much better. Why don't you just yeah. let him sing all the songs?" 
you know, leave that guy. But but for, to have two, you know, there's a number of bands that do it. You know, as you said, the band do it. Um, Grand Funk Railroad do it. A heavy metal band called System of a Down. They've got two vocalists. It, it oh, the Beatles, Pink the Beatles, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just some other. So let's get into the songs. But uh, just a bit of background before. Um, they were called Grand Funk Railroad before, weren't they? But then for this yeah. album, they dropped the Railroad, which I'm not entirely sure why. I looked into it, couldn't find anything. They just, I don't know if they thought the name was too long or something. Um, they've got a new producer for this album because there was yeah. some criticisms of the previous albums that they sounded a bit muddy. The production wasn't very good, just sonically to the ear. It wasn't very pleasant. So they got in Todd Lundgren, who by all accounts and by the um, reviews he got, is a very, very modern producer in those days. He knew how yeah. to use the equipment. He knew how to make an album sound good. And that paid off, didn't it? Because the album sounds really clean, really lush, and very sonically pleasing. Sounds like it could, be, could have been recorded in the 90s. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can find, you know, the, the uh, remastered versions of it on Spotify and all that stuff, but... Uh, everyone you know who is involved with music knows that if you don't get a good sound when you're recording, there's only so much you can do with post production. Yeah. You know, like remixing, remastering an album. Yes, you can make it sound better, but if it wasn't recorded properly, uh, you just you just can't make too much out of it. So, yeah. uh, and yes, it was really well recorded. It sounds like a, a live band. And they sound really tight, every yeah. single note in the right place. They, they swing when they want to swing. They groove when they want to groove. They mm. they get heavy when they want to get heavy. And everything can be heard in detail because the, the production is great. So that I think uh, the, the the reasons why this album is so good and, and made them even bigger is like there's a certain point in a band's career when you are well-known and you have a uh, good following and it touring the world and all that stuff but that's your seventh album it's like you kind of need to prove that you, you can still be creative yeah and arguably that's their best album uh and imagine you know at that point in your career uh, after proving time and time again that you can do good music and then you come up with your best work yeah. so there's a lot of things that that make the album special one is production uh, so they actually found someone who, who who they could trust to actually capture the real sound of the band. Yeah. And the fact that they made the keyboard player a, a permanent member of the band and they gave the keyboard more space. And the producer insisted that the drummer, Don Brewer, had to have the same amount of songs as lead singer, as Mark Farm. So he, 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 he wanted... I think it's four songs each, if I'm not wrong. I was, yeah, a double I think check. It is, now, yeah. I think yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to lead the song conversation? Just take us through. You know, you go whichever order you. Oh want to yes, yes, yes. Well, you can, man, take us through. We're gonna start. Um, <laughs> right, I'm gonna start by um, <laughs> uh, quoting a couple of lines from from We Are an American Band because it starts with this amazing drum intro. It has to be featuring any top five drum intros, you know. In I, I need music. to I need to pause you because I forgot I had a segment for you. Ready? Right. How rock and roll is that? And this is the question: How rock and roll is it that three seconds into a hard rock album, Grand Funk Railroad put in one of the best intro drum fills I've ever heard? 
<laughs> right. I'm going to expand your how do rock it. and roll do is it. that, okay? How rock and roll is that? Drum intro with Cowbell is an up-tempo song with lyrics about having fun with groupies, drinking, and playing poker with Freddie King. <laughs> you've you've won up to me. It's like in poker where you put down a bet. And they go, yeah. okay, I see your bet and I raise you. You've raised, yes. so I've, I've said the drum fill and you've raised me, the poker with Freddie King, the life on the road and the cowbell. Well, I mean, if you decide to put a cowbell on a song, yeah. uh, it, can, it can only go uh, two ways. It can be a disaster drum fills, epic. Yeah, drum fills <laughs> on their own starting off an album. I wouldn't say they're that uncommon. This one's a very good drum fill though. So I'm yeah. kind of sitting at 70. But then poker with Freddie King and talking about the touring life, 75. Adding the cowbell, 85. There we go. <laughs> That's it. Okay, I'll go with that, 85. That's so, fair. yeah, 85. so the lyrics, yeah, the lyrics I talked about was like, uh, up all night with Freddie King. I got to tell you, poker, uh, I got to tell you, poker is his thing. Boozy, uh, booze and ladies keep me right as long as we can make it to the show tonight. So, basically, um, yeah, so poker with Freddie King, booze and the ladies, and you know, but I love that he finished this line with as long as we can make it to the show tonight. There's an element of professionalism right yes, there. Yeah, like, yeah. you know what? You know, getting drunk, we're having fun, you know, but we, we need to get to the next we need to play, and the, play gig, the gig. Yeah. And we're going to make everyone party really hard. Because that's it. that would be like they basically trying to define what it is to be an American rock band in 1973. Is that the year? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, it's it's an autobiographical it's an autobiographical account of Brewer's life on the road, isn't it? Um, and the, the whole album, isn't it? It's about the the touring life, the ups and downs, and we're going to get to some downs later on in the album of touring through America. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it starts by saying like uh, 40 days on the road, isn't it? They like they were already on the road for over a month, and it's and it's it's about that. It's about it's it, there's nothing to there's nothing they don't leave anything to interpretation on the lyrics. Yeah, it's it's very literal, it's what it yeah, is. Exactly. So basically, uh, they're talking about you know, uh, um, uh, having fun with the groupies, getting drunk, hitting the road, and you know, uh, and playing poker and everything that bands do on the on the road but it, it's it sounds like an invitation for everyone to join them and party because that's what that's what, how the yeah. chorus goes isn't it so it's basically we, we're coming to your town so like see all this this like madness all the mayhem we do behind the scenes we're bringing it to your town so you can party with us and I think it's it's quite cool. I mean, for you know, well, you got to put it into context. You know, that's the seventies, you know, like, yeah. uh, and it's and it's that's the vibe. That's the vibe you expected from a rock band in the seventies. Do you know? I keep forgetting. I don't want to go on about it too much because we have mentioned it in a bunch of the last episodes. I've just finished a documentary on the Vietnam War, and when you think that that war lasted, and the the the, the bulk of it, the worst of it, lasted for ten years from sixty five to seventy five, and you think of all the culture and everything that's happened in those ten years in terms of music that's come out, films that were released. I don't I don't really want to sort of think political events because that's kind of aside from the arts, but. A lot changed in culture from the 60s to the 70s. And I yeah, think, it did. You know, the Vietnam War at this point is still going on. Um, and I think for a band, you know, we've heard, 
look at look at our last few episodes. Um, Don McLean, American Pie. We did the the in depth analysis of all the lyrics of that song, and that was that literally chronicled those ten years. Um, and he spoke about the the segregation and the divide throughout America because of what we assume his lyrics alluded to uh, the Vietnam War. And I just thought to have a band come out and celebrate um, in this way was just really classy because it's such a feel-good song. And I feel the whole album is such a feel-good album. I'll sum up my thoughts in my monologue, but it made me happy listening to it. I can't I can't put it any other way. It's a happy listening album. And yeah, it starts man, with I, this I song, just... which is a happy song. I just want to play a rock gig after I listen to that song, or just yes. go to a gig yeah. and party all night. It just—it's yeah. such a such a good feeling, as such a positive song in many ways, you know. Yeah. And it's that they—they—they are not like uh, uh, specifically in that song. They're not getting political. They're not criticizing anything or anyone. They're not trying to. It doesn't even sound arrogant because that's when I, you know, when I first heard the song, I was like, oh, it's a bit, you know self-indulgent isn't it but no not really as no. i said and I'll, I'll say it again they are inviting you to join the party they are coming to your town they want to make you have fun you know and that's it so uh what a great way to to start an album isn't it it is it is yeah yeah really really good i like the songs or the music i mean yeah you know the songs with cowbell get quite a bit of stick don't they but i thought this was yeah. a good one and it was used quite tastefully yeah. do you know one thing that's interesting and maybe you can maybe you can connect um and do the segue after this a number of the songs had very unusual percuss percussive endings yeah i found that quite strange like I, I i i didn't like it but at the same time i didn't hate it well, it doesn't matter when it's the last like twenty yeah. seconds of the song. <laughs> I suppose it might. Yeah, yeah, it's arguable because. But by, by the time you're starting the fade out, they just add layers and layers of weird percussion. Dom, yeah, yeah. Buttons that I, unusual. I was, don't was, know why they do that. What was Don Brewer? Was he a percussionist? Do you know what was he? Uh yeah, yeah. I think he played percussion. I think he's the one playing. Why they made those decisions? Because yeah, well, I, I, I mean, three I, of the songs have that have a percussive ending. I'm just gonna guess. It's just this is just a guess. Sometimes you can record um, some tracks that you're not gonna use. So, so you know, in studio you can overdub as many guitars or percussion, drums, and vocals as you want, and then you decide which ones to use, which ones to to discard. Maybe maybe they recorded layers of percussion that say, oh, it doesn't really work. So maybe you can just have it at the end. Yeah. Or or maybe it's just a pistake. Or maybe it's just to make a. a um, People who host podcasts talk about it. I don't know. Fifty years later, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It is almost well on twelfth twelfth of July. So it's by the time this episode will be out, it will be September. So it's almost it's just it's turned fifty years old two months ago. This album. That's great. Man, oh, we didn't plan this. <laughs> we didn't know. And but let's pretend we did. Yeah, yeah. I'll cut this bit out. Um, <laughs> now, I want to talk about the next song, Stop Looking Back, because I think this was one of my favourites on the album. Yeah. It had... When I said to you about that generic classic rock sound, I was kind of... I was still really enjoying the album, but then Stop Looking Back started, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. Okay, this is a bit similar to the last song now. You know, I'm yeah. seeing a pattern. Is this going to be another yeah. generic rock album? And then that chorus hit, man. And wow, it just had... Oh, I can't even describe it. It just had this aura about it. You know, I always say it's not about the notes you play. It's about the space you leave. Yeah. And less is more. They're my favorite quotes in music. 
And there is just, you, you've got the hecticness of the verses and suddenly the chorus hits and it's just like, oh, breathe, like a breath of air. Take, da, 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 da. You and know. it's Don Brewer again singing, isn't it? It is, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting because the same singer, uh, the first song you, you've, you've got this like more aggressive kind of classic hard rock vibe. Yeah. And on the second song, he goes more melodic, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought this song actually really reminded me of Never Before by Deep Purple. All right. It just had that kind of funk to it. Um, Just the hard rock funk, I like to call it, whereas, which is you're hearing hard rock instruments, but in a very funky manner. Um, But yeah, well, any songs we mentioned, including the album, guys, will be on the playlist in the show notes below. So go and check that out if you want to uh, listen along uh, as we talk about it. Um, but yeah, that chorus, it had almost like, I don't know, it just felt almost a bit progressive, just the way the tone changed, the tempo changed. I, I don't think the tempo changed maybe, or maybe it did, but, um, it just kind of, oh, like I said, I just really loved that. It just kind of gave you the moment to breathe because the first song, although it's not a fast song, it's kind of energetic. It's kind of like, right, well, well, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, uh, uh tempo, this song is, is likely slower. So it feels yeah. a little even feels heavier to me that that's not like um uh um they don't necessarily sound like black sabbath but black sabbath was really good at doing that like slow heavy dark kind of vibe yeah. and they have a little bit of that not much but a little bit of that and yeah oh, slightly yes. slower Definitely. you know it's not it's yeah. not too slow and then it, it, it uh can we move on to the next song bro you lead it man yeah you chose the album you yeah take- you know what the song that really surprised me is the third one creeping um, that's the first one with uh, Mark Farner singing, and that's his song for real. That's yeah. he's doing. Uh, um, Great song, isn't you it? You know, yeah. He he wrote the song and he sings the song, and I think it's like okay. Uh, let's say they were intentionally uh, recorded in that order. It's like okay, that's the first song that I'm actually the lead singer. So you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it remarkable, and I think it's a really really good song and and it's the first time that the keyboards really uh yeah make a, a, a huge difference in my yeah, so i've got here focus it's and prominence on the keyboards it's very yeah. very keyboard heavy um, the bass riff is, is is amazing so because you know we, we're talking about the uh, the drums and keyboards all the time but the bass riff is really tasty and i yeah. like the bass i like the bass tone throughout the whole album yeah i, I think the bass stands out uh, without ever being too much. You know? Yeah. It, it, it is the perfect bass performance because it does enough to keep you interested. It does enough to give you a little taste of something like, oh, this is interesting, but it never overrides it. It never plays more than it needs to. Um, with Creepin' track three, I found that the the use of the keyboards and organs gave it a very soulful feel. Um, yeah. And it's very groovy as well, wasn't it? Really nice track. It is, it is. And uh, I think uh, in terms of uh, lyrics, if you compare the songwriting, uh, uh, it sounds to me that like uh, Mark Farner always wants to go slightly more political, you know, and he's always like um, trying to raise awareness to something that's going on. So uh, um, so basically there's a line in the song, men getting rich off raping the land. Uh, I can't understand why we don't take them in hand. So mm. he, he is more into like, pointing out that something he doesn't think is right and asking, you know, people to, you know, take action. Uh, and there's a there's an element of rock and roll. And I think that's the balance in the album. It doesn't get political, like, 
because you have songs that balance it out. There's songs about like let's just have fun and get drunk. Yeah. And there's songs about look at what those guys are doing. This is not cool. We need but to it stop it. So. It doesn't it doesn't break the themes of the album up, does it? The album is still about life on the road mm. in America. I, I think he's I think the band, excuse <laughs> me. I think the band, I think it's I think what I, th- I think what you what we're trying to say, you uh, what's that phrase? How has that just gone out of my head? Um, what's the phrase? It's like you, you get what you see. What what's on the can? Jesus, uh, I've got, I've got, um, you've got it as well. It's like what you see is what you what, get, something like that. Yeah, what it sees, what you get. It's something <laughs> yeah, about a can, isn't it? It's like the the label on the can. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, um, I think they. they <laughs> You're the native speaker here, man. You I know, need to know yeah. those words. <laughs> I think that. Um, what we've been told about this album is that this album is about a band who went on a tour across the United States and then wrote an album about it. And I think, although you're talking politics um, in the sense of maybe Don Brewer's looking at this slightly politically, I still have a feeling that the lyrics to this song were influenced because he saw something on the road. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like he saw it maybe be, yeah, culture, yeah. you know. Um, but you're right, it doesn't break up the themes of the album just because one, the first two songs, well, actually the first song is about the partying and the playing poker with Freddie King. The second one's a bit different. It is a bit more um, introspective. It's kind of like, right, stop looking back, look forward. Like It's a bit philosophical. Like, you know, don't look yeah. to the past, look to the future. And then the third one gets a bit, um, a bit political. But yeah, the that's the first feeling. one that there's actually written and sung by Mark Farner. So he, yeah. he, he tends to take the songs more into that direction. But yeah. it's not like... Uh, you know, say uh, mentioning any specific names or, or any specific situation, or uh, again, not getting too political or anything. And and it's it sounds to me that there's if there's a formula with lyrics in this album, is like um, they are very simple, mm-hmm. like straight to the point. Uh, unlike what we revealed, American Pie. There's so many interpretations that you can have yeah. for the same same verse. This is like. Uh, this is what it is. Whatever the lyrics are, are telling you, there's no... Uh, it's it's not subtle. Let's Sorry. That. It does what it says on the tin. That's the quote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It just popped in. Yeah, sorry, bro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered because I wouldn't. Uh, so, <laughs> so basically, yeah. So it's, it sounds to me like the, um, the verses exist to lead you to the chorus in terms of lyrics. I'm not saying the lyrics are not great. Because they're really, really good, but it's like, okay, here's a verse. We're gonna lead you to a magnificent chorus every yeah, yeah. single time. And I want to make this point: every single chorus in this album is just perfect. They mm-hmm. nailed it every time. Yeah, you might good. not. You might think the song is not as good as the previous song, but the, every chorus is well sung, well written. The melodies are spot on. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, they really deliver every time. And even like you said, even if a verse is just like, okay, it's all right. It's, not, it's okay with a verse. When you get to the chorus, you're like, okay, yeah. Do you know what? Give me another one of those verses as long as I get the same chorus afterwards, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Excellent. So, um, do you want, where do you want to take us next? Yeah, let's let's move on. We, we, we probably have time to talk about every song. Do you want to, yeah, should, should we do it? We'll just yeah, do each yeah. one this time. Um, this one, very, very deep purpley in more ways than one. I, I kind of heard... Space fucking vocals. Um, I heard Ian Gillen like in uh, the Black Licorice, yeah. Um, very much sort of Ian Gillen vocals, space trucking by Deep Purple, John Lord keyboard solos as well, yeah. really playing it in here. Um, 
And this is the other part I said, metal rhythms and dissonance after the keyboard solo. So listen carefully. After the keyboard solo is done, you just get some very, very um, understated heavy metal rhythms. I don't remember the rhythm exactly, but I'm thinking something along the lines of, you know, chugging, you know, and dissonance. Again, listen out for it. That I, can't, I should have written it down, whichever instrument it was. Maybe it's the guitar. I think it was the guitar. Listen to it because there's just going to be, a, and it not, doesn't last long either, just like 10 or 15 seconds where the guitar is playing something a little dissonant and you just go, ooh. And it's just a tiny bit, you know, like I said, with heavy metal, sometimes you get whole songs that are dissonant. Black Sabbath's first song, Black Sabbath. Yeah. The whole thing's dissonant. With this one, it's just 10 seconds of you just going, oh, hold on. What's that? And then they, <laughs> they make you, you they make you feel slightly uncomfortable yes. for a few seconds only they, they to bring on. you back. Only I think yeah, back. I think you, you they never stay on the same sort of uh, um riff for for too long. Well, they they seem yeah. to there's quite a lot of changes throughout the album and there's always some some new element going on, either a unexpected drum fill or 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 a tempo change and they do quite a lot of that i think the the amount of complexity in this album uh is such a great contrast to how catchy the choruses are because you could just go full on pop rock if you wanted yeah. to with those kind of the, 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 i think for the, the vocals are heavily influenced by soul music i would say um because you can hear that. Yeah, definitely yeah. Um, Brewer's vocals, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're very much. For so. sure. Uh, and, and then you could, and having that sort of voice singing, uh, uh, you know, repetitive in a good way, uh, uh, catchy choruses. And if you just write straightforward rock songs, that's that could be a really, really easy way to write uh, 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 a best selling album. But they, I don't think they wanted to go down the easiest way. They 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 yeah. were creative in every single song. There's always one section like in, in every song they think, oh wait a minute, I didn't see that come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. As 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 you're talking about the dissonances in this song. And yeah. again, you mentioned the purple, the lyrics is uh, you know, for this song is, is the kind of stuff that Ian Gillen would write. So uh, and it's again nothing to make you think and and reflect about life and change the way you see the world. It's just like having fun. Same, same thing. Uh, and it's a partnership, uh, songwriting. There's uh, uh, a partnership between Brewer and Farner, so they, they wrote the song together, and Don Brewer is the singer. Uh, I, on my notes here, I got the perfect bass intro, fast and groovy, isn't it? Uh, but, um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really That's good. That's one thing. Uh, uh, and, yeah. bass intros on this one that were really good. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, do you want to move on to the railroad? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was a real. I really enjoyed this one. And this, see, something I had to say about the whole album was that I felt, um, I felt that with, it's a hard rock album, obviously, and it has been packaged, performed, and executed as such. But I loved that you could hear little influences of everything that had come from American popular music in the years before. Yeah. Little bits of funk, little bits of blues, little bits of country, little bits, you know, uh, I think the song, Is It Loneliest Rider, the last one. Gospel backing vocals, the female gospel choir singing behind. Uh, what did I say? Blues, funk, country, gospel, rock and roll. It's yeah. it just, just tiny little hints of each one sprinkled over the rock music 
enmeshed and amalgamated into one hard rock package that celebrates the history and culture of American popular music in the days gone by. Man, you can put that that phrase on a book. That was so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That was a great statement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, just about the song, The Railroad, uh, since the band decided to drop Railroad from the name, that is the only time the word railroad appears on the album sleeve or album cover or anything else. So oh, that wow. word has been, you know, taken off the name. So it's not there. Uh, but it's on the song. So the song, The Railroad. Right. And again, it, it does make you think about a band on the road, isn't it? So the, yeah. they're traveling, they can see the the, the, the tracks. And, and I just I just wanted to add that I made my point and then I forgot to actually expand on my point, which was yeah. I hear quite Americana vibes in The Railroad. It makes right. me think of the band. Oh, wow. It, you know, I, I know we make this joke every time, but the band called The, the, band, band, the band, for those who don't know. Yeah. Um, just had that, you know, the whole, on the railroad is a mighty good line you know just imagine all of them sitting it singing it together um just the harmonies with each other singing about an american railroad you know just like i really got that vibe it, i thought it was a really lovely song and even things like this you know in the second verse you've got the percussive sound of the hammer hitting the rail track yeah i thought that was really interesting because it, that's a sound effect it's not it's not a it's not a percussive element it's it's a he, they haven't chosen an instrument and said, okay, put some cowbell on or put some, I don't know, another percussion instrument, put some glockenspiel on or whatever. Yeah. They've just said, we want to sound like a hammer hitting a railroad track. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like a, it's like when you're in a movie. And they make, they make the that, and they make all of that sound uh, 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 dramatic, you know, in a certain way. So I think, uh, I think the intro is quite dramatic because you have, some heavy stabs is when everyone hits at the same time, like like cymbals and and distorted guitar and the bass. Everyone's doing the same hits at the same time. But that after that, immediately you have a slow melancholic guitar riff and yeah. the vocals start. When the vocals uh, come in for the first verse, there's no bass, no drums, there's no groove. It's just the guitar and, and the vocals. And then when the chorus comes up. It gets so much more powerful because you have all the other instruments uh, backing yeah. it up. So yeah. it, it's it's super cool the way they arranged the song is really well thought, and it's not random. Uh, it builds up the expectation for the chorus. Everything is just perfect. Uh, the the BVs, the amount of layers of BVs they add, it's like a choir singing the yeah. uh, 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 the BVs on the chorus. Super cool. One thing I have here uh, on my notes that I, I found really just like the groove changes completely completely halfway through the song and it kicks off a long instrumental section that lasts almost until the end with keyboard and guitar solos prepared yeah. for one last round of chorus which is super cool i loved that part i thought the tempo change and the vibe change halfway through was brilliant just took yeah. you on such a journey it felt like one of those songs you know because the songs that had come before even though they had different stylistic lineages if you want they were still kind of pop songs verse chorus verse chorus bridge solo chorus outro each one kind of followed that structure and then with this you just get taken on this journey where it's like hold on it just like bang you know pauses halfway through and it's like here try some of this so we should change it up completely i thought that was really good um really good. now uh onto the two poppiest songs of the album would you yeah. agree 
Yes, yeah. ain't got nobody and walk like a man. That's right. Uh, yeah. um, one Farna, one written by Farna, and one bit written by Brewer. I, I still heard a little bit of country. Actually, uh, if I'm not wrong, they both uh, um, written ah. by both of them, but Farner sings ain't got That's, nobody. Yeah, my notes are who sang it, sings wrote it. Like yeah. So yeah, Farner sings track six, Brewer sings track seven. Um, the thing I liked, you know, we did say that there was that they don't really hang on to a lot of riffs, um, but at the end of Ain't Got Nobody, there's that section where they just vamp on two chords for the last minute or so, isn't it? The last two minutes, I think. And they just go from one chord to another. And that's the side that I really enjoyed because in, like you said, in the, in the, in the, all the, the, uh, the stuff, the, the previous songs, you've got them going from riff to riff, section to section, changing things up, changing tempos, changing melodies. And then at the end, at the end of Ain't Got Nobody, they just sit on that and vamp it for like two and a half minutes. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that because it's a pleasant change to what we were used to. Yeah. Exactly, and and it's a it's a kind of it's a slow funky groove yeah. as well uh, uh, at the beginning with some double tempo sections in the song. Yeah, so that you know it's, it it feels like uh, it gets faster, just like a double tempo vibe, and then it goes back to to the slow uh, uh, slow funky groove. So that's that's the other thing that makes the song interesting. Again, and um, once you get comfortable with the groove or the riff, they they take you to a completely different section and and, yeah. and and they bring you back to the chorus. They do that all the time. It's super cool. Something interesting is the lyrics of this song because these, uh, are, like I said to you at the start, we go through the highs and the lows of touring. Um, this one ain't got nobody. I really felt, you know, that it's very much about loneliness and, and yeah. longing for a personal connection, um, whether that's romantic or friendly. I'm not entirely sure, but we know from having been on tour it's a tough yeah. life man. your loved yeah. ones aren't with you you can be on the road for two or three weeks sometimes longer you know a month or so it, it's because if, if you're you... with your bandmates you're not with your loved ones the people who you see every day the people you, you know you might go and see your dad once a week it doesn't happen yeah and, and for yeah and for a musician on the road although people think it's like it's just about having fun every night there's so much work to do and uh, so much traveling and so much sitting around with nothing to do really it can get yeah. boring from time to time and you might be on the road thinking about, oh, you know what, my wife is 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 somewhere with her friends having fun, or my friends are, are, are having a pint in my favorite pub now, and I'm not with them, yeah. uh, or you know, you know, I want to see my family. You know, so it's, it's just you're just not um, on this. Like we're talking under the uh, point of view of people who toured like for a couple of weeks from time to time, always going back home and staying home for a few weeks as well. Going back, if you're on the road for ten days, feels like a month. Just things get too repetitive too quickly. Yeah. And when you mentioning bands that were as famous as Grand Funk was at the time, uh, it means they're going to be on the road for months. And it's nothing close to a normal life. And it's definitely a great topic for an album. you know. And it's, it's amazing they've managed to capture without sounding, uh, you know, self-indulgent or arrogant or... or it's not they're not they're not saying this it, it's all fun and they're not all uh pretending to be uh you know it's too difficult as well it's just like they they're going to talk about both sides of being on the road the loneliness and the fun you know i love that's that. a that's a great point man you know this album yeah. perfectly captures and sums up the life emotions feelings highs and lows of a touring band isn't it amazing yeah, stuff man. amazing cool. stuff um walk like a man 
Like oh it, yeah, that's that's the second single, right? Obviously, the first one is, is with yes. an American band. The second single, uh, and I think they really got it right uh, when they chose the singles for for the album. Might not be my favorite song. I like I love creeping that that would, but that's not a single. That's not no, single it isn't. material, right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I would choose creeping as my favorite after uh, we're an American band. But walk like a man. Um, you know, again. A partnership um, of uh, so it was written by Farn and Brewer. Brewer does the the uh, the lead vocals, and I love the intro riff because there's lots of space. Mm-hmm. So they they do those stabs, and then there's there's gaps in the riff. It's not yeah. like it's not a full long rock riff. That it's it's heavy, but it's uh, there's loads of space, and I like that. And throughout the song, there's some insane drum fills. I love that. I love yeah. the way I love the way the drums are, are literally filling the gaps and uh, and 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 giving the song that boost that you need from from time to time. I love it. And the guitar solo is quite bluesy, in my opinion. Well, yeah, no, I agree. One point I was going to make is that it's a very poppy song in terms of melodies and choruses, but the instrumentation and the performance takes it from being a pop song to a hard rock song, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think think that's where this album properly succeeds because you've got pop stuff littered throughout, but yet the way they play it and the tone of their guitars and the production makes it sound like a hard rock album, which is, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And I think maybe, you know, in the 70s, uh, bands would dare to do that more more often. They... Obviously, no one would mind a long instrumental section. It's not like nowadays yeah. you need to have a two and a half minute song if you want to put <laughs> yeah. on the radio, and you can't have guitar solos, you can't have distortion and all the stuff. I think hard rock was, you know, really, really the soundtrack of the seventies, and I think grunge funk was uh, uh, riding that wave in in in, in the best possible mm-hmm. way. You know? Another great point. Um, the final song of the album, Loneliest Rider, I'd say this is probably one of my favourites. I really enjoyed this one. I loved the different stuff you hear in it. It's got that southern, dirty rock vibe in the guitar and the key tones, uh, the keyboard tones. Really enjoyed that. Um, but then again, you've got those gospel backing vocals coming in that I thought was just really, really cool. Just And that, yeah. you get to the end of the album and you think you've heard it all and then suddenly out of nowhere they throw in some female gospel vocals. Um, that song, that song is not filler. Is there because no. it, it, it owns his uh, space in the album, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I I I love the at the beginning. There's a uh, and it happens again. I think at the end of the song, the the drums they go into a tribal uh, groove, which basically mm. when you use the toms more than than snare and kick to actually yeah. build the groove, you use a kick, uh, kick and snare drum, but Instead of cymbals, you use more drums, more toms, as you know the low tones of the uh, of the drum kit. Yeah, uh, and that you know has everything to do with the lyrics. You know, so I, yeah. I just wanted. Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, and there's it's got that percussive ending as well, isn't it? Yeah, the another one with the percussive. Again. Yeah, um, yeah. And so yes, yeah, it's quite trapped. That, that percussive ending, uh, it does. Uh, uh, remind me more of like a Native American percussion stuff. Isn't yeah, it? so yeah, it's that, that it really suits the song. There's a really great line um, in the lyrics: "Is none of the stories in the school books said it? The truth is gone, and they're trying to forget it." So super cool uh, nice. about 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 the fact that we we 
we haven't been told everything about history as we might think we have. So, yeah. Really does evoke that American cowboys meets Indian thing, doesn't it? I really yeah. kind of got that loneliest rider, you know. Um, just I want to point out again that dissonance. Post key solo, so after the key solo, you get this very heavy and dissonant riff. And then as it moves on from that, just go back and listen to the song and listen to the descending dark, heavy guitar riff that's going on in one ear. And then in the other ear, you've got the keyboards playing a little motif that's consonant. It's like, stop, don't think about the song for five seconds and you've missed it. If, if, you, if you're listening to the song and something comes on the TV and your attention's there, you're going to miss it. But just pay attention because a lovely little contrast. Again, you don't expect these kind of contrasts in this kind of accessible hard rock music. Um, and I, yeah, just another example of some fantastic songwriting um, and production, I suppose, as well, because I think the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you check out the last two songs, the bonus ones? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And so they were great. <laughs> yeah, hooray. Hooray is a great song. It's nice so if, fun, isn't it? You know, if someone listens to the remastered version of the album with the extra tracks, uh I haven't got my notes for the last song, The End, which is a great song as well. But Hooray <laughs> is a relentless guitar riff, and there's no pretty much no lyrics, just like word yeah, verse. Very, it's, very, it's, a, yeah. it's basically like the band is simply jamming to the main riff and having a good time. It feels to me they're just like, let's just jam to this and might it might become a song or not, but they, it's on the extended version of the album. It sounds like a soundtrack for an actual movie to me. <laughs> good point, yeah. Um, and for me, the song The End, which would be track 10 on the bonus album, literally could be a Black Sabbath intro. It's just that dark, <laughs> doomy, heavy, distorted bass. Um, another heavy funk song. Uh, you know, you've got the heavy, dirty, funky, groovy. The solos are brilliant. Uh, another guitar riff uh, with very dissonant and unusual towards the end, followed by um, the keys playing in verse two. Just really unusual stuff. The, you know, I often think when I hear an album and they put on those four, when any band puts on four tracks that weren't, that didn't make it to the album, you kind of hear them and you go, okay, they're cool, but I see why they didn't make it to the album. These two, I really thought, could have made it. Yeah, well, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, in, in the 70s, maybe eight tracks is enough for an album. You know, yeah. One you of those things. Uh, I, I think, cool. I mean, I, I'm going to, um, uh, before you do your amazing monologue, because I know it's going to be amazing, <laughs> I just want to say a couple of things about the album. I think, um, in general, I, I believe there's a really, really good balance between the heaviness of rock riffs and and the funky vibes of the drum grooves. And I think this is just really, really uh, well mixed in the album. And can um, I just add also, to that? Pop, yeah. pop, pop, sorry, pop uh, vocal melodies. Yes. Pop and vocal you've got that fantastic with, trio. Yeah, it? exactly. So they can go quite uh, uh, pop, almost like, before they get too cheesy, they would come up with a, a, a double tempo section or something that you're not yes. predicting. And I love that. Right. And yeah, so I think it's well balanced in that way. Also, there's the right amount of, of room for each instrument to shine Yeah. Uh, without becoming bigger than the song itself. You know, no musician is more important than the song in this album. And this is just brilliant. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Cool. cool. Are we happy to finish up there? Yes. Yeah, excellent. Um, I just want to, I mean, 
some accolades for the album. So unsurprisingly, it did really well in the US and Canada, you know, on uh, number one in US Record World, number one US Cashbox, number two in the Billboard 200, number four in Canadian top albums. Around the world, not so much. Sort of in Norway, it hit number 12. In Germany, it was 46. In Australia, it was number 27. But in the National Association of Recording Merchandisers, their definitive 200 albums of all time, this fits in at number 200, interestingly. They've got the final spot. But yeah, a very very, classy album. Um, And I think that's time for my monologue, right? Classy Classy album. Here we go. So my monologue. The album feels like an amalgamation of all American music to have come before it, conglomerated into one hard rock album. We have said this before with other bands and albums, but the difference with this is that it sounds like the next progression in the musical evolution. It doesn't feel like an R&B influenced album or an album with a blues background. It feels like a hard rock album, but drawing on inspirations from funk, blues, gospel, rock and roll, R&B and country. They've taken the best parts of each of these genres and created a hybrid that undoubtedly rocks hard, but still gives you glimpses and glimmers into America's musical past. Now, not knowing the band, I'm going to have to compare them to Deep Purple, as this is the sound and overall vibe that I really got from them. In comparison to Deep Purple, it feels like the band aren't as virtuotistic as Deep Purple. There's, there's, there is a lack of stunning solos the way that Richie Blackmore and John Lord would have done. There aren't as many flashes of brilliance in a guitar riff, for example. But what you do have is an absolute cohesion between the band that is unlike anything I've heard from a hard rock band. It sounded phenomenal. Rock is about freedom and looseness and the amount of freedom I hear within this music whilst sounding tight was unbelievable. I think there is music on this album for everyone. And I think the best way I can describe it is this. It is the heaviest, easy listening album I've ever heard. Uh, an album you put on in the car to show off your music taste for everyone to hear and more importantly for everyone to enjoy brilliant <laughs> it is just a feel good album every time i finished even though you've got dark songs like loneliest rider and the end you still come away thinking i want to go on tour with these guys yeah yeah <laughs> or if they're coming to my town i'll be there you know that's it. yes exactly yeah. perfect well, guys, that we'll leave it there. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. He's been Felipe. I've been Laz. As we said at the start of the show, please find us on all the social media platforms. Hit all the buttons to stay up to date with our content. And um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, interact with us. Download episodes to, to listen to. Download episodes should not listen to. So just to give us a, a boost on the download numbers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, leave your comments suggest uh, albums uh, for us to talk about and uh, thanks for being with us once again keep on rocking everyone as usual guys take care and long live rock and roll <laughs>